Welcome, welcome back to Studio Secrets A to Z. I'm your host, Anthony Resta, and we're here for another episode with Skip Saylor, the legend right here in the room with us. Welcome, Skip. How you doing, man? It's good to have you back. I've gotten so many great uh, messages about you know, your work ethic and just you know, telling people about just the nitty and gritty of real recording studio life it's like it's a lot different than just you know being in your bedroom for nine million hours and it is an you know interacting with people the hang being able to have that studio gene that that you know you're cooperative everybody likes you you know that that's a huge part that that you don't really hear much about anymore so i was going to jump right into a, a statistic or a, a, a fact you told me when we were talking on the phone yesterday you had said that you at one point point you had done 3,000 sessions in how, in how many years in six years in six years that that's just mind-boggling to me like the, the the pace of that is that seven well, days a week or oh yeah I mean you know and I lived upstairs from the studio I, th I think my first wife divorced me so that she could actually sleep someplace besides upstairs from the studio <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah and, and those days like you were saying there a lot of double sessions um yeah i mean the the, the whole idea of a lockout like they have now yeah. you know or yeah. they book 12 to 12 and all that kind of stuff or two to two whatever yeah. it is um that was not heard of you know in the 70s and and early 80s it was two a days because we had uh keep in mind that we had live instruments right we didn't have machines to plug in so it was based around you know in a lot of cases union musicians you know that would come in for three hours or six hours okay yeah and then you know once the musicians were gone the session was over right so and if you went one minute over you're gonna pay for another three hours right well at least another hour and a half yeah yeah <laughs> you know too. um and depending on the musicians if they were double scale or triple scale musicians that could get really expensive so you know i was talking a little bit before about you know taking the time to get drum sounds and things like that you know which was just unheard of in the union days you know if you didn't have your uh, for a 10 o'clock downbeat if you didn't have your drum sound by 1001 somebody was screaming at you you know <laughs> that's crazy uh, wow that's so different and, yeah and so you know we we do two a days you know so technically 500 sessions in a year is only working 250 out of 365 days but still you know yeah. and doing two sessions a day because you know if uh if you haven't figured out by now that there's not a lot of profit in a recording studio oh yeah i know all about that yeah <laughs> you've learned that lesson yeah, it only took 29 years so. right uh <laughs> but uh you know if you could book two sessions a day you did it you right. know yeah because you know I, I mean i say this jokingly and not jokingly if you're actually clearing ten dollars an hour do you want to make 60 bucks that day or 120 bucks that day yeah there it is you know and when you when you're working in a studio that has like 100 input ssl just to, to keep the lights on is is a massive bill like what is it how much electricity does that thing take take to run 
I mean, if you're really careful, you're in, you know, a couple grand a month. Just in electricity? Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, this was, I mean, that was prior to SSL time. Right. Okay. I, the, my first console was kind of a hybrid. It, it was a Spectrasonics that had been in record plant back in the day. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I, and then because I needed more channels, I put a Trident sidecar on it. Okay. Okay, so I made myself what was essentially a 40-channel console, but it was 24 channels with a 16-channel sidecar. So the Trident sidecar, was it more like the um, A-Range style or more like... No, the, uh... it was like a little, I think they called it a Flexamix or okay. something like okay. that. It was a, like one of the early, you know, they didn't have home studios then, okay. but it was like the early version of a of a you know home type board and not, that's cool i'm not familiar with spectrosonics tell us a little bit about that board what was that like? man that was a i mean look a lot of my uh, at least at the studio a lot of my early hits a lot of r&b records and stuff were cut on that board uh spectrosonics was a company that was out of uh um out of utah Okay. Wow. I think I think you know the Mormons made it or something. I didn't know anything about it. It's really interesting. But uh, um, it sounded so good. I mean, keep in mind, if Record Plant had it in the early '70s, it must have been a good sounding console. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, there there was a lot of consoles in that time period that kind of went by the wayside. Quad Eight is another one that a Quad Eight console. I mean, I would love to have a, a quad eight stereo pair of channels. That, that was a remarkably good console. But so anyway, this this uh, um, the Spectrosonics was very very simple, um, and one of the interesting things about it. Well, it, it was one of the first first consoles that had cards that you could plug in into the back of the console and half the time if something was wrong with the console you figured out which card you'd smoked yeah, and then just and swap you put them it out. you just swap them out and you're off and, and running send again. off the other one for repair that's right cool. yeah you send it to utah you know to ogden i think it was what was the characteristic of the board like i mean say like you know neve or ssl or trident like what was the character of it it Just was real clean? simple i would i would call it um bushnell like okay okay where you know like the uh um you know bill putnam's board yeah where it was just basically a a simple equalizer and a piece of wire that went to the tape machine so pure I mean, yeah it was very 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 open sounding and people you know the uh um man you got a great sounding studio a lot of it was that board you know because like you know i always call it, you need a to to win the indianapolis 500 you need a great car and a great driver Okay, but if you got a great car, you can be a pretty good driver, and you still might win. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, cool. But yeah. but if you got a, a if you're a great driver, but you're in a Volkswagen, you're coming in last. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's just so there, too slow. Yeah, that makes sense. So you know that 
just accidentally. I mean, I, I had known about those boards, but this board was so simple. But as we know, simple is quite yeah. often good. It was so simple it didn't have pan pots in the channel. Wow. Okay. It had a 16 bus monitor section and it was one of the early quad boards so it had swizzle sticks wow to go quad that's cool with and and so it, it wasn't even a pan pot it was a it was a um, stick a yeah. quad stick you know and so you just went to the front buses okay yeah and we used to set up the panning with a oscillator where we'd go you know we'd move the the swizzle stick you know 3 db out 5 db out 7 db out 10 db out all calibrated with tones like the professional right <laughs> and so if we wanted it you know if we didn't want it all the way out but we wanted it somewhat to the right or the left you know we'd bus it to buses seven and eight which were set at 10 dB I out. see. Wow, that's and, cool. And, and, I, and I, Wow. That's I mean, really simple, but primitive. No automation, just everything's... You know, yeah, well... All hands on deck. You know, yeah. I can go... <laughs> um, the automation we had was us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what about <laughs> editing um, different passes of mixes together to make one mix did you do a lot of that or did you guys just decide okay this is the one uh, yeah i mean we, you know we always did that you know the it, you had to be good with a razor blade in those days you yeah. know um and you know if we had too many changes to make at a certain point you know we would intentionally stop it yeah you know um and uh you would practice you're mixing, you yep. know, okay, we're where, do where this. you'd go, okay, you know, I've got this move to make here and this move to make. And then you'd kind of get, you get all, you know, built up like you were, you know, playing dodgeball as a kid or something, you know, you go, okay, I've got to move to the right here and move to the left here. And that can make for some really emotional things happening in a song. I remember, you know, when I first started out, it, it was like that as well. And, you know, y your adrenaline gets pumping and, you know, just little tiny accidents happen that can really be magical because there's a, a human emotion involved right? exactly you know? i think that's that's something that's kind of missing in a lot of music well okay like for example um pro tools automation is a little bit up down left right i mean it's kind of static shall we call it yeah okay Whereas SSL automation, you can actually ride things up and you can put a little love in it. You know, you're not, you're not feeling it in Pro Tools. It's not, is it because there's not enough steps in the fader? Is that what it is? Or what, it, what do you think it is? Is it a software limitation? What, I'm just curious what it might be. Well, I mean, do you work in Pro Tools? Yeah, yeah. I just, I never really thought about what But do you, do, you, do you ride things yeah, in we Pro do. Tools? Yeah, we, we do. We use the Pro Control to, to you know, to, okay. to ride things. But but with a mouse, you're not going to be riding stuff that much, right? Well, you, have to, yeah. you have to have a Pro Control. You've got to have a Pro Control, yeah. Okay. So without, you know, um, a lot of kids don't have a Pro Control. Yep. You know, they're doing on, off, left, right. Sure, you know. with the mouse. And they're starting to make more affordable. Even SSL is making a more affordable little 
eight channel controllers. I think a lot of people are starting to get into that aspect, right. which is good. But it's, but for a long time, yeah. you know, people were working at home without any feel sure. on things. Sure. You know, yeah. and without a pro control, you're 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 dead in the water. Yeah. Okay. There's no you know emotion behind the moves. Whereas you know, on an SSL, we're still riding things mm -hmm. and stuff. So. You know, yeah, I, I do things, you know, where Pro Tools is controlling things, and then I still like having the old-fashioned automation from, from a SSL where, you know, you can put a little musicality in it. That's wonderful. Stuff, you know? Wow. So what kind of mics were you generally using back at, during that same time period with the Spectrasonics? Did you have, what kind of arsenal of mics did you guys have? I mean, you know, kind of the, I mean, I've, I've always had, somewhat of the same arsenal yep. with you know 441s 421s RE20s that I see you have here yep. that we're speaking into hello uh, and uh, um, 57s uh, 451s 452s you know yep. kind of the same yep. thing you know depending on what vintage you actually bought sure I uh, always got to have an 87 you know, yep. FET 47, and then, you know, whatever, whatever five to $10,000 microphones an hour, however many of them you might have, you yeah, know, whether it's, be, or... whether it's a 67 or a 251 or yep. a, you know, tube U47, what, whatever it is. Love you these, always... those Elam. We used to rent that a lot. The Elam 251. Is it too? Right. Yeah. It's a beautiful vocal mic, but they're all a little different. There was one in town here that we used to rent and it was like, constantly oh you know uh you know somebody you know somebody always wants it so it's right. like yeah you know, and it's funny that they're not all the same you know? well because yeah. every time you spit on a capsule you've turned a 251 into a audio technica <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> and, no and I'm not picking on an audio technica, no, but no, you know no. what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. You know, a, a fifteen thousand dollar microphone versus an eight hundred dollar microphone. Right. You know, you get if you don't keep your tube and you know high end microphones cleaned, you know. So that that's a kind of a maintenance thing that's tricky. Do you do that yourself, or do you have to oh, send them out? Oh hell no! Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know this old. You know, I'm guessing he's close to 80 now this old 80 year old tech that will you know clean and service your microphones and he's you notice a you huge know, difference right when you get it back. oh yeah Night you know day. it's like yeah and you know not to pick on rappers but if you put a fifteen thousand dollar microphone in front of a, a rapper without a a windscreen and and stuff you know just the the whole process of speaking is more it you know there's more spit coming out of your mouth than singing interesting you know and so you have to be really careful with that stuff I never even thought of that that's really really cool well and and believe me when i tell you no two microphones are built the same i mean if you're down with a dynamic microphone in the under a thousand range yeah, more, you know, they're yeah. they're they're going to be very similar, you know, because with a dynamic microphone you're not subject to, you know, having this $5,000 capsule. Yeah. Um that, you know, the slightest little whatever on that capsule and or a $10,000 tube, you know. In, right. Yeah. You know. Well, 
but you know tubes tubes have a factor in it but if you're not leaving it on all night long and stuff i mean if you're just turning it on warming it up for a half hour do your do your okay. thing and then shut it off you know a tube should last you a while yeah you know and you don't you don't have to worry about spitting on a tube right yeah. okay but like stephen paul was a was a guy that modified them yeah that you know made quote unquote microphones you know modified microphones in the late 70s early 80s okay and i still have a stephen paul 87 it sounds totally different from an 87 wow i mean an 87 you think sounds good until you hear a stephen paul 87 and then you go what the hell is this? So I mean, how does he hot rod them? What do you think he's doing? Well, he's putting thinner capsules on them. I see. So consequently, if you don't take care of your Stephen Paul 87, you got a piece of junk after a while. I see. Okay. And you don't want just any old tech trying to clean a one mil capsule. It's so thin, right? It's gold. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It, you it's, could scratch it or break it or... Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, like I said, you spit on it one time and you've got a different sound. Well, that's, I never thought of that. All these years I've been doing this, I never thought about that. It, Yeah, it's a little crazy. I mean, you know, I won't, I won't say that I've gone away from expensive microphones, but I don't, I don't have $200,000 wrapped up in right. microphones anymore. You know, I well, mean, we, it's we just, had a conversation the other day. You were saying that we, we should make, maybe do a video, and we're talking about doing that, of, of getting a great drum sound with just 57s. Yeah. Talk yeah. a little bit about how that, your process for that, it's all placement, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, what, you know, messing with the mic pre and stuff. Yep. You know, um, like when I teach one of my kids how to get a drum sound and stuff, I go, start with the fader like halfway up. Okay, so just bring up all the faders halfway up and then get your levels with the mic pre. Okay? Yeah. You know, you don't want to, you know, because you you want to get, you want to use as much pre as you can without blowing it up. Right. Because you you want the signal to be strong coming in and that's off the mic pre. Right, and you don't have to worry about overloading the channel that way. Right. Do you, and, do you compress some stuff to tape or just monitor it? You know, I mean, I can and I have. Yep. But, you know, one of the guys that that taught me a fair amount uh, was Bruce Swedeen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Legend. And Bruce had this little saying that he would always use. And he goes, if you really have if if you know what you're doing and you have a good sound and you're doing things right you don't really need to compress things you know if you if you need to compress things um then you're doing something wrong somewhere along the line okay well, that's fascinating yep. and you know i can tell you that i heard i heard some of the mixes on thriller before they were mastered Okay. Yep. And then I heard what Bernie Grunman did with them. And 
of course he used compression well those mixes were very open sounding yeah okay and when bernie got done with them they were perfect but if bruce had compressed the daylights out of them before he handed them to bernie they would have been different okay sure i mean he knew exactly what bernie was going to do and he left it left space for him you know to to do his work a and lot of stuff. a lot of mastering engineers today complain that because everybody has the ability to get things so you know loud with the peak limiting and all these plugins that they're like why are you sending this to me to, to master it's already 6db too hot so people need to realize that they need to like you're saying like bruce sweden like let things be more open let a great mastering engineer take it to the next level i mean we work on that like we always print another version of the mixes with with no limiting and let the mastering engineer decide yeah, they almost I, always take the unlimited yeah, if i if i get to use bernie and i try to use bernie on everything um because there's only one thriller yeah you know there's only one Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. And there's only one, one Bernie, Bernie Grunman. Okay. Yep. So if I can use Bernie, I I do. Yep. And I I never I never crunch things, but you know, if I'm if I'm doing somebody a quick mix and they yep. you know, they're just doing it for you know, call it demonstration purposes, sure. I'll I'll do a little mastering job myself on it. Yeah. And stuff. But you'd be shocked how when I I get so many, you know, I, I get two or three mixes a day just about, okay, yeah. where, you know, saying, what do you think of this? You know, uh, if, if I can afford it, I'm going to have you mix it, but, you know, what do you think of this if I go, you know, show this to people and, you know, and they go, and I, I had somebody master it, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I mean, did they master with no speakers? I mean, <laughs> did they master with their eyeballs? You know, because they couldn't have been listening to this and said, here's your mastering job. Yeah, there's people don't understand that mastering is such a high level art that takes like decades to get really good at it. it it's a lot of people just assume that they, if they put mastering next to their name at the end of the email, they can do it. And it's really, I mean, I hate to be a little cynical about it, but. I, I really do believe it takes decades to be really good. Well, I I have a couple of customers that are that are doing, you know, podcasts and radio shows oh, sure, and things like that. like that. And they send me their their music that they've, you know, they'll like in some cases they'll pull something out from the '80s. In some cases, stuff that I did in the '80s. Okay, and they go, "Can you do something with this?" You know, it's not. Uh, it's it's not up with the stuff that we did with you last year, you know, and stuff. And so I'll I'll pull it up and I'll, you know, give it a little more juice and you yeah. know try to try to do that. But it is it is amazing that people, engineers, you know, I mean I'm generalizing, but it's amazing that just so they can make a hundred bucks what people will go yeah i can do that and 
and it's like, and, it's like, and it's, they're throwing it off the edge of Grand Canyon. It's yeah, it's and it's sad horrifying. because it's sad because these guys, like you know, we use a bunch of different guys for different types of music or whatever. But like, you know, over the years, I've worked with you know Ted Markison and you know Brian Lucy's amazing, and you know we've done stuff with Vlado, like for for different types of music. But these guys are such high level artists. It's like if you really care about what you've done here and you've put all this time and energy into it, why not give it to an expert to, to, to give it that extra, even if it's an extra 7% or whatever it is. I mean, right. I, I, I hate sounding like the old boomer dude, but I mean, it's like, I think it's important that people realize these guys are, are amazing at, what they do and they're listening do, to speakers you go out in your front yard and yeah. yell at the kids <laughs> yeah, say yeah. get off my grass <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> get off my yard yeah, no it's like <laughs> these guys are listening through speakers that cost more than my house so it's like there is something to that art and i i just think i i'd like and i see a lot of young people though that are starting to get that and really want to use these people and i think it makes a makes a huge difference you know yeah i mean you know between i mean i've i've had shootouts with bernie you know, what, a dozen times maybe? Yeah. And every time he wins by a hair, okay? Yeah. Um, I've never had anybody, I've never had anybody beat him, but I've had people come close. Yeah. You know, without going through yeah. the, the, the list of names. I mean, all of them, all of the people that were involved in the shootout were very, very close. And it's just, you know, it would be just slightly Bernie would win. Yep. I mean, slightly. Cause, so, you know, if you're doing that for a living, you're probably pretty good. It's kind of like Major League Baseball. Sure, sure. Every guy on the Dodgers is better than you and me. <laughs> okay. You know, and hitting I mean, 300 is really good. Right. And, <laughs> and uh, but, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're really a professional and you've been doing it for 20 to 40 years, you know, or yeah, you're, you're, I mean, I've been using Bernie since 1975 or 76, somewhere like that. Wow. Okay. So, he, you know, he knows, he knows my stuff. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing, I think Bernie's edge is his equipment. Yeah. Okay. Um, ben O'May, that Tom May Jr. And I don't know if I, told you the story but tom may was the guy that recorded the tijuana brass okay you know and then his son is like this nerd yeah you know i say and i say that in the nicest yeah. possible way but he's like the, this analog genius who's made all of bernie's equipment and you know it looks primitive but you know, I'll take something to Bernie and, he, and I'll say, why does this sound 20% better? Maybe 25% better. What What did you do? Yeah. And he'll go, well, I took out a quarter dB at 200 and I added a half a dB at 25K and then I compressed it a little bit. I go... You, what you're telling me is you did virtually nothing to it. <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, your stuff is solid. And I mean, he says, you're, you're as good as anybody that comes through here these days. That's amazing. And I go, well, 
you know, I guess all the good ones have died off. You know, <laughs> people say, how, you know, how did you get good? Well, you know, enough people died that I just kind of, you know, it's like the, it's like the boat that rises in the harbor. You know, if you take out enough boats, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll end up sitting up. You know, well, essentially, uh, what you're saying is that his the console that he runs the audio through adds something before he even does it. Yeah, you know, it's just it, you know his equipment sounds so good. I think that's the edge. I you see. know, um, and I'm just guessing. I'd love to try him out. My friend Paul Hager uh, is a great engineer mixer. Uh, uses him all the time. Uh, right. And, uh, well, I'd like you to know, I mean, he. he he doesn't look like he'd be a star, <laughs> you know? Oh, he, he doesn't boast like he's a star, but he's just amazing. But I will say this. Don't try to make decisions in his room. Just, you know, even if you go to the mastering session, just keep your mouth shut. Let yeah. him do what he does. Absolutely. because. The first time you hear your music in his room, you'll break down into tears because it's so dry in that room and so not flattering that you'll go, I suck. <laughs> and then you'll get it home and you'll go, oh my God, this is beautiful. And then you That's realize cool. wow. he's, you know, he's doing his surgery on a, stainless steel table with fluorescent lights you know yeah. it's not it's it's not gonna make it pretty in his room but you leave his room and it is brilliant that's just amazing that's that's you know but i mean a lot of those guys are like that yeah george osberger yeah you know the the famous speaker maker and stuff yeah he designed our studio over here well there you go yeah okay but you know when when George comes in to tune his room, to tune your room, and like you might be mixing some hip hop stuff, some heavy metal, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're working on that day and whatever you're listening to at that moment, he'll put up classical music and not that loud and he'll do his adjustments. And you're thinking to yourself, how does a guy that's 140 years old and he's not using like iPads with blasting blue noise and white noise and green noise. <laughs> like right, he's, right. It's but, all it's all but, here. But here, yeah, here here's a guy that's the oldest person on earth, listening at low volumes to music that you heard as a kid, and then you put your hip hop stuff up, and it's banging. You put your heavy metal stuff up, it's banging. But he was listening to classical music from the '50s or something. That's you know? science. That's or science. A, There's nothing or a, but science. A 1971 yeah. James Taylor record or something. Yeah. You know, that's science right there. I mean, well, yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. It's like you know, fascinating if, man. And Bernie doesn't look like he would know what to do with a a rock record or a hip hop record or rap music. But you know. Bernie did 2000, uh, 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 what was uh, Dre's first record? On uh, The Chronic? Yeah. yeah. Bernie did The Chronic. Yeah. Now, Big Bass Brian ended up doing a lot of the stuff after that. Yeah. But the original 
you, you set know, the bar. Yeah. yeah, the the original one, wow. you know, the chronic, was done by Bernie. Cool. Wow. This. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. talk about this stuff i want to jump back into some of those sessions last time we didn't really get to talk about some of these iconic artists that you worked with and i thought today we could jump into a few of them like you know why don't you just skip around a little bit and tell us i mean i i you know pick well a, let's, pick let's go let's go chronologically yeah that makes sense okay yeah uh one of the first sessions that i got to second on was blood sweat and tears with Bobby Columbi and Roy Halley producing. Okay. Bobby Columbi was the original drummer for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Sure. Okay. And if you go back and listen to um, And When I Die and and Spinning Wheel and stuff. Jazz drummer. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, you, you listen to those drum parts and you go, Whoa. Wow. I mean, you know, because he's, he's doing stuff that, that drummers are going fuck, I better sit down and just learn from this guy, right? And Roy Halley was the guy that did Bridge Over Troubled Water on a four-track. That's, that's crazy. Go back and listen to Bridge Over Troubled Water. Oh, I have. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah. And picture that on a four-track. Now, he did tell me a funny story about that, okay? Because Roy is like, I mean... Roy, Roy is like one of the all-time greats. The, the last record I know of him doing was Graceland. Unbelievable. Yeah. Which, you know. There it is. I mean, to take that music and that kind of... Aesthetic. You yeah. know, just just all those instruments and stuff and make that record was like... Okay, well, we can all take, we can all just sit down and take lessons from Roy Howey now, 
okay? So, you know, I spent a couple of months with them, you know, wow. fetching fetching their sodas, fetching their sandwiches, and fetching their microphones, okay? And, and Roy told me that the strings for Bridge Over Troubled Water were recorded in London with a click track, not to the music, okay? The parts were written wow. based upon the song, and they'd put them to a click track that was the right tempo. But they went over there and recorded these strings without hearing the song. That's okay. Crazy. With the London Philharmonic. That's okay? amazing. And he mixed, you know, the acoustic guitars and the vocals down to two tracks. And then he submixed the strings to two tracks. And he put, you know, the, the record without the orchestra on two tracks of the four track. And then he took the, uh, the all the string parts, did a submix of them, and flew them by hand. No synchronizer, just... No, no synchro, no nothing, man. I mean, flew them by hand. He said he worked three days. Just for flying in the strings? For flying in the strings. Dragging your hands, how do you do it? drag your hands on the reels to make it slow down a hair or what what I just don't even understand how you do that. You do it part by part. I mean we used to do it, like, we used to do it with background vocals all the time so you know before because yeah. um, if you had sophisticated enough background parts you know it would take take you days to sing them. I mean you tear people up trying to do them so you'd you'd get one chorus and you'd fly them in by hand and what you know what you do is you just you know get the song going and try to line up the second machine so that you can feel it going in. And then however long it stays tight is how long you do. And then you have to punch in again. Yeah. And it's just, you know, four it's, bars it's by crazy four work. bars. And that record ended up being the record of the year. Uh, won the Grammy for the record of the year. I mean, yeah. that's like one, that's yeah. a record of the century. Yeah, yeah. You know, Artie Garfunkel. Yeah. Hitting those high notes on Bridge Over Troubled Water, yeah, man. Wow, there's some really funny uh, fly on the wall uh, stuff that floats around the internet with some of the arguments and stuff that those guys had. Like, it's just, oh, oh yeah, it's, well, I love that stuff. I mean, so interesting though. So, you know, so you learned a lot through that period, right? But but now Roy had to go one day, and so you know, Bobby didn't want to quit working. So he said, um, I want to edit some masters together. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I'm, you know, whatever I am, I'm 19 years old or something, and I've never done any two-inch editing, you know? I mean, that, you know, we treated two-inch tape like it was made out of gold or something. And he says, you know, we got three takes of this song, and I want to do, you know... The, the chorus from this one and the verse from this one and the bridge from that one and we're going to put it all together. You must have been shaking. And I said, Bobby, I've never cut two-inch tape. He goes, that's okay. I know how to do it. I'll teach you. <laughs> and I am, I mean, look, to say I'm shitting myself would be under 
understating yeah. what I was feeling. I mean, my, my heart was beating, my hand was shaking. And that day he taught me how to cut two-inch tape. And, you know, the now I went on to, I mean, I had, for a while I had the nickname Chopper that I would get pulled out of sessions to go to other sessions because I was known as the best editor on the property that's, okay that's cool. and then i could do it fast and correct and i never made mistakes and stuff but it was because one of the greatest jazz drummers in in history taught me how to count yeah you know and and it was really pretty simple he said always cut on the kick yeah and he goes i go why the kick he says because the kick's always right okay like you might you you know if you're kit if you're cutting on the tom fills they may be you know they yeah. may be leaning they cut on the snare you might they might be leaning you know you cut on the kick and i went all right and from that point on that's how you did it i always cut on the kick and because of that it was easy to keep track of it plus the kick was always on track one so you know, I, and I never told anybody what my trick was because it was his trick and he gave it to me and I wasn't going to pass it on. But, you know, I'd pretend like I was, you know, listening real closely. And I had one eye on track one and seeing where that was. And then I'd yeah. mark it and cut it and, you know. That's great. You that. had the showdown. Right. You know, well, it's because. Job protection. Hey, <laughs> I mean, this is show business. Yeah. You know, and, and that's one. Have you ever met a mixer that was more entertaining in the room than he was good on the console? Maybe <laughs> once, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. A lot of every year they give a best engineered album of the year. Yep. And you go back and listen to what one best engineered album of the year. Very seldom was it the best sounding record of the year. It was either the most popular one or the most popular guy. Sure, that seems to be kind of the way things go. Right. So, you know, you put on a good show. Yeah. And if you know how to do something that nobody else knows how to do, you keep it. Yeah. You know, now that I'm older than dirt, you know, <laughs> then it doesn't matter. I'll pass it on, you know, because I don't want... Anything that I do know now, you know. You want to share. I mean, I don't want it to die, yeah. you know. I feel that way, too. I really like sharing anything that I, that I have to, with, with people. And, you know, it's, but I don't suggest that for the first 30 years of your career. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, right. Yeah. you know, if you, got, if you can do something that's just a little bit better, then... Hang on to it. Keep it and don't tell anybody. And then when you, you know, yeah. when... When you're in the, when you're past Thanksgiving, yeah, <laughs> and you're coming on Christmas, yeah, in your life, yeah, then you pass it on to as many people as you can. You know? That's that's one of the reasons I, we put the podcast together is to share this amazing information with people and share it. You know, it's it's, it's it feels good to to share all this stuff. You know.
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report. And you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So after our, um, hey, uh, blood, I, I, I want to do yeah. I want to do one more thing. For, okay. You know, because now now that you got me thinking about telling people how to think and and you know people you know the like some of the older guys that listen to your podcast are going I'm going to make my kids listen to this and stuff. I I want to give you one thing that that I still say to the kids. Yep. And. It's so accurate, okay, about the difference between winning and losing and how thin the margins are, okay? And I mentioned baseball before. It's a baseball analogy about greatness, okay? I'll try to be quick. No, this is great. A baseball season if you're a regular player, is about 600 at-bats in a year. And you do it in about 30 weeks, okay? From the beginning of spring training to the end of the World Series is about 30 weeks. Now, this is important for you to remember the math here, okay? Now, if you hit 300 in the major leagues, you're getting a hit three out of 10 times, you know, it's 30%. And you're going to get a $20 million contract, right? Maybe it's 15, maybe it's 25, but you're going to get, you're going to get one of those big, my God, they're making how much money kind of contracts. You know, I think, I think star pitchers are getting 40 million now. Okay. So, but if you hit 300, you're going to get 20 million. If you hit 250, you might be traded. You might be a bench player where you're not playing all the time. You might be sent back to the minors. Okay. So you, and hitting 250 is one out of four hits or 2.5 hits out of every 10 at bats. Over the course of a season, if you hit 300 with 600 at bats, you're going to get 180 hits. If you hit 250 over with 600 at bats, you're going to get 150 hits. Now, let's see if you are listening. How many weeks is a season? 30. Okay. What's the difference between 180 and 150? 30. The 30 difference minutes. between 20 million and getting cut is 30 hits over the course of the season. The season is 30 weeks. 
So if I hit one flare per week over the second baseman's head more than you do, I get 20 million, you get sent back to the minors. And in all facets of life, that's that's the deal. Yeah. You know, if you are willing to work a little harder, if you're willing to spend a little more time working on your skill, you will beat the next guy. I, you know, when kids say, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Well, when I first got to this town, I thought everybody was better than me. And they probably were, you know, there probably wasn't five people working in a recording studio that wasn't better than me. Okay. So I had to learn. And so I wasn't the best looking guy. I wasn't the smartest guy. I wasn't the most talented guy. How did I get my own studio for 40 years? The only thing I had was if you were willing to work 40 hours a week, I was willing to work 80 hours a week. And I didn't care if I was being paid or not. I wanted to be paid, but that wasn't the first thing. The first thing is, can I work? You know, can I get in? Will you let me in? I had no connections, no rich friends, no rich father, no rich nothing, no connections. No, I didn't know anybody. What was the only thing I could control? I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what I was going to do. But I knew that if I was willing to work 80 hours a week and you were only willing to work 40 hours a week, I was going to get there twice as fast as you, wherever Mm. it ended up. That's wonderful. And that's really the whole thing. Yeah. That is the whole thing. That in Major League Baseball, the difference between being a star and being a bench player is one little flare over the second baseman's head per week. Not per day, not per four days, per week. And that's the difference between, you know, what's the difference between somebody being a big star and an okay star? The big star is probably willing to, and I'm not even saying they're not faking it, they're willing to sign 10 more autographs, work one more gig per week, work a little harder on that vocal. They're just outworking people. They're not, you know, I always tell people, everybody, and I, and I, I mean this in a 95% tile, but everybody is talented that comes to this town. Yeah, you know, you'll find somebody that's got no talent every once in a while. But generally speaking, everybody's got talent. Everybody's got skill. Everybody, you know, got 
B's on their <laughs> report card. You know, maybe they weren't an A student, but they didn't flunk out of third grade. You know, yeah. everybody that comes to this town has talent. Everybody that comes to this town was the star of their high school play or had a band or you know was the sure. was the guy that got all the girls or the girl that got all the guys i mean you know you don't usually come to hollywood unless somebody's told you you can do it yeah you know maybe it was only your mom yeah but somebody said go ahead go to hollywood you can do it okay so you come to this town you got some talent what separates you from anybody else because with every job, with every gig, with, you know, there's 50 people that want that one gig, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, Tuesday night down at a club on the Sunset Strip, 20 bands want to be playing it. Why do they pick that one band? Because that one band's a little better. And they worked a little harder. And they practiced more. They just out, you know, you do it by outworking people. That's fabulous advice. So that wraps up part three of the Skip Sailor interviews. We're going to be back next week with part four. Please don't forget to tune in. And thanks for all your great messages. And please subscribe. This is Anthony J. Resta signing off. Studio Secrets A to Z. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.